This is Mindframe, a podcast of mind-bending science fiction. Welcome to Chapter 11. We appreciate you listening, and as always, we like to let you know up front that we are a Podbelly original, and we are a member of the Podbelly network. So you can always go to Podbelly, and you can find out uh, great tips about how to host your own podcast, and you can find a great directory of shows that you might want to listen to as well. Also, we do want to thank um, all of you for the support that you've been uh, showing us. You you have some really great uh, feedback and input on Facebook. And a lot of you have given us financial support on Patreon, and that's that's very good. It helps us to get server space. It helps us to mail packages. And to be honest, it helps us hopefully one day put a little bit of money in our pocket. But you can always support us on patreon.com uh, backslash Podcast. And again, we say it every week, but as usual, uh, one of the best things you can get from it is really sort of a, an entirely second podcast, which is the sit-down episodes where myself and Zach and Brent have some fun. We might sip on a little bit of whiskey and we talk about the theories behind whatever uh, episode that we're, we're currently uh, exploring. So this week we would be doing a sit-down episode for Chapter 11, which is a chapter for Josephine. So to remember where Josephine was, we're going back to the old dame in 2011. Uh, she's uh, been having panic attacks and she hasn't been having a good time as she rebuilds the hotel and mourns the, the loss of her husband. And as we see her in this chapter, things might get better or they might take a very strange turn for the worst. Chapter 11, Josephine, circa 2011. Muffet and Porthos were bored with their winter life in the dame. Their days had devolved to watching their mom do tile work napping on unrolled painting tarps and retreating to distant rooms at the dismaying sound of power tools. Josephine's days were pleasurably swallowed whole by the construction. The dogs, not so much. The worst of their neuroses were summoned by cabin fever. Porthos was barking at every ghost in the house, every snowdrift as it fell from the roof with a slough. Muffet was biting her nails and licking until her skin was raw and red. When Muffet had a licking fit at night, the sound of her flapping tongue seemed louder than construction, and it pierced Joe's skull like a drill. These behaviors, naughty behaviors, were magnified in the dogs when they hadn't walked, or had company, or been able to burn excess energy. Creatures meant to roam all day, forage and stalk and walk and hunt, didn't find much entertainment from Josephine's Netflix queue. She thought about the dogs as she read the forecast online. More snow tonight and possible freezing rain. This meant that she had a small window in which to walk the dogs before they were sacked in for even longer. Josephine looked out the windows in the bathroom she was planning to tile this morning. It was a second floor room, and Lake Akunga glittered like a precious stone. Boats flitted on its surface, people playing, fishing, whatever, before the freeze set in tomorrow and made it go dormant for a while. Josephine would take the dogs to the lake, get them out of the house, They'd get sopping wet and muddy and come home for a bath and be content and wiped out. Less licking, less barking, more tile work. Joe looked at the dogs. They lay on the hardwood floor in a patch of sun, already relenting to doing nothing for the day, and Joe asked, You want to go for a walk? The dog sat up with a start, hearing one of the all-time best terms in their vocabulary, but were leery. Did I hear that right? Heads at incredibly cute angles, ears puffed up. Josephine repeated, You want to go for a walk today? Muffet barked like a madwoman and ran in tight circles. 
Porthos bolted to action, always running ahead and patiently stopping for the pack to catch up, and headed up the hall to Josephine's personal apartment, into the kitchen, and directly to the drawer that held the leashes. It was wonderful outside, a morning with a bright blue sky, no clouds yet, though they were sure to sulk in later, low and heavy and ominous with potential. The air was sharp and clear, and the dogs strained at their leashes. She only ever leashed them when walking to the lake so they weren't a muddy mess by the time they got home. But why bother, Joe wondered out here on the side of an unpopulated mountain, and unclipped them. They ran far ahead, then far back, sniffing, ears flapping, mouth smiling, though Joe realized she could just be making up the last bit. But Joe smiled herself, and it felt good to do so. She suddenly and deeply longed for what Muffet and Porthos had, pure joy, running with abandon. They were completely free in their own element, out of doors, with their pack, always checking back in with their alpha, Josephine, to make sure everything was okay. She wondered what that felt like to be so purely in one's element, to be right where evolution wanted you, among the fronds and branches, sniffing trails of bunnies and mysterious piles of fecal matter hidden in the snow. Muffet ran up with something in her mouth, and while Joe expected the worst, she discovered it was a large pine cone. It was thrown. It was chased. Joe didn't have a place that gave her such a depth of pleasure. There was no environment that served as an evolutionary sweet spot for a human like there was for a dog. The city, when she lived there with Guillermo, was too much. It was overwhelming with people and grids and cars and sounds. But the mountain could get so empty and alienating that it would drive Joe mad. Humans were social creatures, and there was no society up in the dame. Plus, when Joe tried to leave it, which she had done three times since Teddy put the plow on her jeep, she would have a massive attack and retreat to the couch, breathing into a bag like she was shown on the internet, until her systems were normal. She had no place. She couldn't picture leaving the dame even for a cigarette run, yet the dame could chase her out with its skeletal hallways and echoing sounds. If it weren't for the dogs, Joe felt as if she'd splinter into a thousand pieces. They were her loyal attendants in all things. She felt the hollow afterimage of all the dame's old guests call to her, needing a pillow, wondering when the kitchen would open. There was the pressure to complete that routine, but nobody here to serve. And the dead, including Guillermo, were there somewhere, stuck between fresh layers of lath and plaster like someone out of a Poe story. Josephine reached the shore of Lake Akunga. There was a sandy beach and a dock that belonged to the old dame. Most of the lake had a muddy shore full of reeds and weeds, but the original owners of the dame imported a significant amount of sand and built a proper beach. Muffet and Porthos tentatively splashed in the cold water, memories of fish and ducks seeping from their genetic code into their cortex and giving them an ability to concentrate and search at which Josephine marveled. Once they were used to the cold, the dogs were all in, splashing, romping, chasing at sticks that Joe would throw. Muffet's thick coat allowed her to stay in longer than Porthos, who retreated after just a few minutes, her dainty boy, and met Joe on the dock where dry towels awaited him. After a bit, Muffet retreated as well. They both lay wrapped in towels, eyes shut in the sunlight. All three sat on the deck, the sun combating the cold of the wind that was starting to summon a storm. The toes of Joe's L.L. Bean boots traced the top of the lake like a water bug, and she watched the boats go by, 
Some were powered with motors that shattered the silence of the mountain. Others were powered by people paddling. There were a few docks she could see across the lake, two of them on the access road, two of them private from the Huell House and the old monastery. One of the larger boats cut its engine and drifted on waves of physics, momentum versus friction. They slowed, and the man at the helm waved at Joe. He wore a fishing vest and a warm cap and seemed to have his wife and kids with him. She waved back. The family, like the dogs, were just where they were meant to be, satisfied at the lake, the water, the sky, the fish. They breathed clean air and love and strung together a family memory, a mobile that would hang from the ceilings of their minds, weave together with fishing lines, ones that got away, and a warm drive home with hot chicken soup and an oversized green work thermos. Seeing this family in the small canoe with one young bearded man rowing hard and fast just to be alive and outdoors, it made Joe feel better. She almost felt as if she did belong to something, a race of mountain people. She didn't used to be an outsider who was divorced from cities and people and the unyielding pulse of humanity. She didn't used to have panic attacks either, for that matter. What happened to her? What all did she lose in that fire? Far more than just Guillermo. Joe needed to open the dame. Even a trickle of guests just now and then would give her a purpose. She belonged to the dame now in some strange way just as the dame belonged to her. That connection was felt the first time she visited the old hotel with the realtor, but it was subsequently lost in the fire and lost with Guillermo. Having climbed back up the hill from the lake, she entered through a side entrance of the dame. She found herself in the summer wing, the wing that was most thoroughly restored by Teddy and his crews in between bouts of bad weather. The other wings were still lacking walls in places and had doors removed. The fire damage wasn't widespread through the whole of the place, but Teddy insisted that if he replaced carpet or doors or any element in one part, he had to do the rest. He was too much the perfectionist, and it was a longer repair, but a full restoration. She fully dried the dogs off, planning to leave the wet towels and leashes inside the entryway where seating and shelves were aplenty. It was designed as a cozy place where guests could remove snowy boots and soggy coats in the winter and hang swimming towels to dry in the summer. As the dogs got their last drying pats, they shook their ears with vigorous thunderclaps that echoed through the stillness of the place. Behind the noise, just before the dogs stopped with their shaking, she heard a voice up the hall. It wasn't a fake voice. It wasn't her imagination or a neural net firing an echo ping looking for spaces where Guillermo used to be. It was a real and proper voice. She held her hand to the dogs and moved her body in a way that made them take a step back. They were silent, and she heard the voice again. It was down the hall, maybe up the side staircase from the second floor or in the stairs themselves. It was a male voice, casual and confident. It was a distance up the wing, but it was speaking loudly as if talking to someone far away. Not if the lift doesn't work, it said more clearly. Joe crept up the hall, and Porthos and Muffet stayed behind her, their postures ones of paranoia, but not yet anything primal involving hackles. She walked past several guest suites. Each one was dark. None of them had doors yet, so every room was a black, toothless maw leering at Joe as she snuck past. Each one could have been a host to an invader, or something worse. It'll take half a dozen people to lift this thing. Let me call it in and we'll get some help, the voice said. 
Another voice, a female, speaking equally loudly, said, I'm coming, don't bother, we'll lift it. I'm sure people are being pushed here right now to help. Then the male again. Pushed by who? The local framer or a kunga? Not sure we can count on her to... Never mind, here come some able bodies. Joe got to the staircase and the voice wasn't coming from up the stairs any longer. In fact, now it seemed to be coming from back where she had just come from, as if the two had somehow passed each other in the hall. The male voice rang out again. This time it came from the sitting room where Joe just dried the dogs. It was a straight shot and a physical impossibility that she wouldn't have seen these people pass her by. The man said, This ought to do it. Okay, on three. We just need to lift and set it in the slots. It'll hold like that until the welder gets here. The welder is here, said another calmer voice with a laugh. I just got pushed. Hold it up and look away, everyone. I don't trust those slots to hold it, so I'll weld as you hold. It'll be heavy, so one, two, three. Joe heard grunting and smelled the burn of a torch. Her fear suddenly vanished at the sheer mystery of what could be happening. She darted back into the dark sitting room from which the voices now emanated and flicked the light switch on. It was empty. She saw movement in the corner of her eye and saw the flicker of a welding flame all the way back in the staircase she had just abandoned. She sprinted to the stairwell and turned the corner that was lit with flame. A woman stood there, inches away from her, noses almost touching. She was Chinese maybe, or Korean, tan skin, dark hair pulled back in a tight bun. She was dressed like a priest, maybe in a sleek black cassock with a high collar. Her sleeves were rolled up and she was sweating. Her outfit was adorned with pips and insignias. Holy shit, you scared me, the woman said to Joe with laughter. Her face went from relieved at a funny scare to downright panic. Isn't that her, she asked, turning back towards the welding flame. Why is she out? Then turning to Joe, why are you out? Where are your... The dogs went wild. They started barking at the stairway and growling. Muffet actually got between the woman and Josephine and pushed Joe back. The dog summoned so much force that Joe fell on her butt. The dogs both barked in a rabid, wild way she had never seen before. The lights flickered on and off suddenly as if there were a power surge, and in the pulses of light, her dogs weren't dogs. They were some horrible, chitinous thing. Their bodies were segmented like a pill bug, but shiny black like a new car or an inverted stormtrooper. Up their back was a jagged mohawk of ebony shine, and their underbelly was a writhing mass of what looked like long fingers wearing wet black latex gloves. Part of her mind panicked at the sight. Such things didn't exist, but they did. And they calmed her. The shine of their outer casing was familiar. The screech they emitted sounded like a worn metal merry-go-round on a rusty playground spinning with no master. The noise was like a warm shot of whiskey, warming Joe in all the right places. They were hers, and they loved her, and she them, Muffet and Porthos. Joe scrambled back to her feet, and the light suddenly normalized. The woman was gone, as was the sound and the smell of the heated metal. Her two brown and white beagles were barking and suddenly stopped, whining a bit and wondering what to do next. Joe's mind felt broken, jagged, like the glass of the windows as the heat from the fire made them expand and pop. She walked through the central mezzanine and up the stairs back to her rooms. She was shaking so hard she couldn't even open the bottle of Xanax as she took it from the medicine cabinet. In the mirror, her reflection was odd. Joe was Chinese suddenly, 
which wasn't right at all. She was from the city. Maybe she was always Chinese, but that seemed an odd conclusion. Porthos barked at her. The image in the mirror was good and properly her. She was going mad. Eventually, the sun went down, and she sat on the bath mat near the tub, her two loyal attendants nuzzled up to either side of her. It was right, wasn't it? This was the dame. It was her dame. She belonged to it. She always had. And if she wondered if that was a lie, one of the dogs would whine or lick her face and calm her back down. The old dame didn't make any noise for the rest of the night as snow came and buried everything. Eventually, Joe recognized that she had made it to her bedroom with two very sleepy dogs. Somehow, holding Guillermo's hunting rifle on her lap, she too fell asleep. She woke up in the morning, snugly in her bed, laying under her comforter. The dog's wet towels were hanging on the back of her office chair. She was in pajamas, and there was no gun. She couldn't remember falling asleep. There was a strange fog over the night, but she remembered the dream. The woman in the old outfit, the welding torch. Something about the dogs scaring her for a moment? She searched the dame all morning for any evidence of a break-in, of people. There was nothing. The leashes hung by the front door in the main lobby, not the summer wing like she had left them in the dream. Her dreams were getting more intense. She felt as if this place was driving her mad, or that she was always mad and this place was somehow keeping it at bay. She needed Uncle Alfie to hurry up and get here. She needed to meet Clarabelle and get help with the reconstruction. More than anything, Joe needed to get a wing ready and reopened so she could revisit her purpose and help serve the dame. If guests were here or a staff, no matter how small, the bad dreams would stop. She knew it. The old place needed to be kept functioning as she was meant to, a stately old lady here to serve the people, here to stop Joe from dreaming impossible dreams. So hopefully Josephine recovers and hopefully she gets a better footing on what's going on and what's real and what's not and what is a phantasm and a dream. But uh, our heart goes out to her. So as always, we want to thank you for listening. Um, we have other uh, written projects that you might be interested in. If you go to mindframepodcast.com, you can find my original book, 181 Pine, which is a completely different, the start of a completely different trilogy than, than this particular story. Um, it's a more uh, near future piece of science fiction. And you can also find all of the, the works that Zach Smith from the sit down episodes has done. If you go to the mindframepodcast.com. Also, if you uh, want to check out some great podcasts, go to podbelly.com. You can find shows such as The Ectoplasm Show and Graveyard Tales and a whole host of other great uh, things that you can listen to. Uh, various topics, various uh, interests, so no matter what, go check it out. Also, we always want to give a shout out for our own podcast, which is the Sofa King Podcast. It is a very not safe for work uh, sort of a blue humor take on uh, research that we've done based on topics that our listeners uh, suggest. And you can also go check out Brewing the 99, which is the Magic the Gathering podcast uh, that our partner in crime, Brad Taylor, does. Um, if you want to follow us on social media, you can go to Facebook and find us at Mindframe Podcast. You can go to Instagram and find us at the Mindframe Podcast. You can go to Twitter and find us at the Mindframe Pod, and you can go to Reddit and find us at r slash Mindframe Podcast. As always, thank you for listening. Keep the faith, and remember, the Lariat is closing. <laughs>